Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. At Awaken Church, we are passionate about wrestling with and being unraveled by the Christian scriptures. Ideally, we do this together around the table in the neighborhood of Bones. As we see it, Jesus has invited all of us to encounter Him in a diverse community and participate with Him in a mission of loving our neighbors. Hi, everybody. I'm Adam. Um, I'm, I guess our family's been, been coming to Awaken now extremely intermittently for the last year or so, um, for a lot of reasons. A lot of them are wandering around your ankles, uh, kind of <laughs> freewheeling throughout the building, which is a wonderful part about being here, is, is that there is a bit of freedom um, to be in this uh, chaotic stage of life. And for that, we thank you for your, your hospitality um, as, as we've joined with this community. Um, I am, when I'm not here, I am a, a high school teacher. I teach a bunch of like options sort of courses. So my job is basically to be kind of like the change of pace teacher for a lot of things. So some of the things I was kind of hoping to do today as a part of um, this, I guess the sacrament of the word is for us to have a chance to maybe talk to each other and engage with each other. Because one of the beautiful things about having a smaller group, as much as it can also be an intimidating thing, is just that like, there's a part that feels awkwardly formal with me like holding a mic and there's, you know, like 15 of us. Right, so I'd, like, <laughs> I'll, what my hope is to do today with, with our passage is to read through it a few times and to give you some space to, to reflect and then to reflect with the people around you in close proximity. So usually that's gonna be the people you're comfortable with already if that's, if that's all right. And if that face plants, then I have some comments prepared to, to take us forward. But if I'm gonna ask you to do that kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Maybe slightly off, um, I guess out of normal uh, engagement with a sermon, I promise I'm willing to adapt to whatever it is that you bring to the table if you share something. So that's that's my promise to you, is I will change what I have prepared to line to line up with what is interesting to you as I ask the questions. That said, today um, the passage, which is already up there, which is great, is commonly known as the Good Samaritan. It sort of stepped into the realm of like kind of religious kitsch almost, where it's just, it's a nice story about how we're supposed to be nice to people, and if we were all nice to people, then that's really good. And so if we engage with it on that level, like it's, it works really well when we're telling the story to children um, as, a, as a starting point for like Christian morality and ethics. Hey, Squisham. Um, but, but as we actually look at what Jesus is doing, who he's talking to, and what the context is, it's, it's not really that simple, or even, frankly, like necessarily that nice, even. Like niceness is not necessarily what Jesus is getting at in this story. So what I wanted us to do, given that I think all of us have some interesting, or at the very least, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a, a constant like exposure to maybe the kitschy version of the story, or maybe we have like baggage from the name Samaritan being associated with Franklin Graham or something like that. I wanted us to just like look at the story together a few times. I'm gonna read it and I want, I want you, as I'm reading through this, 
few times. To even, like, to take out your phone if you want to. I want you to, there are going to be two questions I want you to answer as we through it a few times. And there are multiple answers for each of these questions, and your answers are going to be valid. Those questions are, one, what do you notice? Just what do you notice as we're reading through the story? What details from the text are standing out to you? And the second question is this, what do you wonder? So what do you notice and what do you wonder? So I'm going to read through this a couple of times. It'll be up on the screens as well. And again, both times, feel free to answer whatever questions, like whatever those two questions, as many different answers that come to mind. And then I'm going to look for you to have an opportunity, I'm going to create an opportunity for you to, to share that with the people around you. And then we'll come back together and move forward from the text, or through the text, I should say. So I'm going to be reading in the CEB translation. I'll start now. So what do you notice and what do you wonder as we read through the story? This is starting Luke 10, verse 25. A legal expert stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to gain eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you interpret it? He responded, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your being, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But the legal expert wanted to prove that he was right. So he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He encountered thieves who stripped him naked, beat him up, and left him near death. Now it just so happened that a priest was also going down the same road. When he saw the injured man, he crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. Likewise, a Levite came by that spot, saw the injured man, and crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. A Samaritan who was on a journey came to where the man was, but when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. The Samaritan went to him and bandaged his wounds, tending them with oil and wine. Then he placed the wounded man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took two full days' worth of wages and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, take care of him, and when I return, I will pay you back for any additional costs. What do you think? Which of these three was a neighbor to the man who encountered thieves? Then the legal expert said, the one who demonstrated mercy toward him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Right, let's read that one more time. Same questions in your mind. If you have any notes or need to write something down or want to, feel free to do so. Let's look at the story again. A legal expert stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to gain eternal life? Jesus replied, what is written in the law? How do you interpret it? He responded, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your being, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. 
But the legal expert wanted to prove he was right. So he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He encountered thieves who stripped him naked, beat him up and left him near death. Now just so happened that a priest was also going down the same road. When he saw the injured man, he crossed to the other side of the road and went on his way. Likewise, a Levite came by that spot, saw the injured man, and crossed over to the other side of the road and went on his way. A Samaritan who was on a journey came to where the man was, but when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. The Samaritan went to him and bandaged his wounds, tending them with oil and wine. Then he placed the wounded man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took two full days' worth of wages and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, take care of him, and when I return, I will pay you back any additional costs. What do you think? Which of these three was a neighbor to the man who encountered thieves? Then the legal expert said, the one who demonstrated mercy toward him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I'm going to give you a second to gather your thoughts if there are any things that stood out to you. Sort of the recommended, what I'd say the recommended group is anything from two to like five, whatever you're comfortable with. If there's no one near you that you're like, that seems available for conversations, I'm gonna come over and chat with you. I just wanna create some space, even just, I'm gonna say for about three minutes, for you to share what you noticed and wondered with the people next to you. Because one of the great gifts we have as a community is that when we read these texts, we're going to encounter them with our own experiences and thoughts. Um, and I want those things to, be, to have a context uh, to be shared. So let's start there. We'll give about three minutes. I'll set a timer so that I don't hold us hostage this moment any longer than it needs to be. And then um, if anyone's comfortable sharing some of those things, we'll, <laughs> we'll roll from there. All right, All right. So I'm 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 deeply curious. I mean, I found out that I was going to speak on this passage about six weeks ago. So I've had a lot of time to notice things and wonder things, and I'm I'm intrigued to hear where people are. Is there anyone who wanted to share something that they or someone in their group who's not willing to share it themselves, um, like <laughs> had for had for a something you noticed? Let's start with things that we noticed. Hi. In this case, it would be the person who was not a member of like the Orthodox Jewish faith in this context. But so the one person who's not part of the like, essentially the, the religious Orthodox in crowd in the context is the one who's, who's pointed out for doing something righteous. Which I think is very interesting and kind of unsettling about the story on, on some levels. Comforting on other levels. Right? Yeah, no, that's... I think it's, that's a fair observation, and it's something that I think is key to what Jesus is doing as a part of flipping people's expectations on their heads. Did you have any other noticings that you wanted to share? Seems like one other. So it seems that there's a capacity for empathy that's, that, that's there that might be motivating the action. Yeah, I think that's like looking at what is driving the compassion for the Samaritan is an interesting thing to ponder in this context. Like, is it, is it the social situation for the Samaritan? Do they have an experience with being beaten like this because they are an outsider? That's, 
think it's a it's a fair thing to wonder, and it does add like richness and meaning to the to the story itself. About from this group, are there things that you noticed? Yeah, there's. When you get into the legal side of things, the priest and Levite are not technically doing anything wrong. But the point isn't, how do you technically avoid wrongdoing? What, what Jesus is trying to lead people into, it's that connection between loving God and people. And when the legal expert says that's the point, Jesus was content to sort of like leave it at that. Yeah, that's good. I don't need to tell you any stories if this is your actual perspective. But wait, I want to be right about stuff. Okay, now it's story time. Because if this was actually what you were about, you wouldn't need to prove yourself. You'd just be doing this thing already. Right? Any other noticings? Essentially leaving things to, to someone else you may feel is more qualified. <laughs> it feels that way a lot of the time, whatever situation you're in. But what... Essentially what qualifies you is the love for your neighbor to be the person who takes action in that situation. Is that what you're kind of getting? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's both a joy and a burden to sort of to take on. Like if I'm going to love people, that means that I'm qualified to take action. Okay. What actions should I take? And, and, and do I have my eyes open for the people who are in need around me so that I can, I can actually act on this? Do you, do you have any noticings? So why why do we see him kind of as the villain? Is it's kind of like like the default? Yeah. I like I asked that question myself a lot when I was preparing because I was like, if there's anybody in the story that I identify with, it's that guy. Like I was raised by Christian librarians, and and so like I've been in the like the religious circle, and I've done like in my higher ed at Ambrose and that sort of stuff. So I really I really like being validated for thinking rightly about religious stuff, which is like an interesting place for my ego to be as I'm standing in front of people trying to communicate and listen <laughs> in this context. But this, that person in the story is the person I identify with the most strongly, is the legal expert. And every time, like everything he does, I'm like, I would probably do that in this situation. I would probably want to look more right than I did when he just said, that's correct. Even like in school, I'm like that brown noser type of person. It's just like, yeah, but how right am I, teacher? <laughs> let's, let's dive into this. Um, but the, one of the reasons I think, like when I was doing my, my reading on this, is that it starts with, or the Greek word for test Jesus in this is tempt Jesus. It's the same verb that's used to describe Satan asking things of Jesus in the desert. So there's, in the Greek, there's sort of a, a different connotation to it, which is just kind of like the, the legal advisor is trying to tempt him into something. But the interesting thing is like, given the context and the questions, like what are you actually trying to tempt him into here? Because you're asking a pretty like, like what you said, like this is a reasonable question to us. And he gets a, a pretty solid and encouraging answer. Like the other time that this question, how do I inherit eternal life is brought up with the rich young ruler later in the chapter, Jesus says like, Good, you followed these laws. Now go sell all your stuff because you're still lacking something. To this guy, he doesn't say you're lacking anything. He just says, you're right. There's, there's not this like, and then this. It's just, you're right. So this, <laughs> did you have any other wonderings? I guess since you transitioned to a wonder because there were many of those things. Any other wonderings that you 
had about the text. Some of them I'll have answers for, some of them I'll just be like, yeah, this is a good question. And I'll just sort of <laughs> leave room to think, yeah. The Samaritan was on a journey, and, and so you wonder where the Samaritan was going. I, I heard that from some other people. Did any of you wonder that when you, when you heard this? Dars, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because in the story, the other people are on, they're going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So Jerusalem is on a hilltop, and then you follow a road down into increasingly arid desert conditions, down to the Dead Sea, essentially, where Jericho is. So if you're going down the road, that means you're going down the road. You're going downhill into the, into the valley. Um, but the Samaritan's just on a journey. So they could be going up. They could be trying to head to Jerusalem. They could be coming back. They could be just sort of like wandering through the desert trying to avoid people because they're not liked in this particular postal district. Like, the journey could be any feasible direction. And the purpose is not known at all. Yeah. I think that's... A, that's a fair wondering. I think the way that, that wonder sort of like brings the setting into the table as far as the significance of the story too, that these two people were heading down the road. This person was just heading somewhere. So was it a greater inconvenience to him because this was further from his destination or the opposite direction? We don't, we don't necessarily know. Any other wonders? Yeah. So the wonder is like, do I, do I actually love God? And you say, like, the way to answer that is, have I been loving my neighbor? Yeah, I, I think that's, that's kind of the wonder that, like, haunts me. Having read this over and over for six weeks as well is, like, what is, you said, like, a, a faith of ideas in a lot of ways. Like, do the ideas that I hold to or claim to hold to actually have any real life, like, merit to them? Or do I really like having ideas that I think are right? Um, and therefore, I like having a context where I feel safe knowing something rather than I love God. And therefore, I care for God's children wherever I encounter them. Yeah, that is a wonder that is haunting me right now <laughs> with this text. Um, which is why I, I love it and it accomplishes so much, but it's, it is heavy to sit with. Um, it's one of the many ways where it's saying, it's not just like, be nice, and that's great, but essentially the Jesus question of like, do you really know me? It's, I mean, taken in, taken in isolation for sure, like it, it, it really like punches that point home. And I think when I, when I saw the question like, eternal life, like where is that actually like specified and clarified somewhere in scripture? And the one place I could find was John 17, where Jesus is praying his prayer. Um, like, I think it's in the garden at that point in John 17, where he, he says like, and this is eternal life um, to, I think it's like to know God and to know the Christ whom he has sent. And so I like, that was the path, like when I was preparing, I started to go down that path and then I realized like, that's not what the expert is asking him. That's something that Jesus has declared essentially later in his own specific context. But what is the expert actually asking with this question? It does, and because it's not like, 
how do you go to heaven or how do you avoid hell? Because neither of those are really active concepts at this point in history. So he's not articulating those things. Um, and how is he tempting him with that question is the other thing <laughs> we're like, we're testing him with that question. Um, so there's something that, that sort of has to do with like the churchy answer, which is like, all right, you need to believe this, you need to have prayed this, and then you need to not screw that up until you die. And when you do, you just need to pray more and try and change and you probably won't. And it's sort of like, it's seen, it sort of like works on the surface. It's kind of like, it's, it's simple, but it doesn't necessarily reflect the rhythms of life of trying to work within a concept of both image bearer and fallen at the same time and of this kind of grace where God would actually send a son into the world to die to bring you home. Like this is, the simplicity of it is like the kind of faith answer that I got as a kid now seems really unsatisfying in the face of these kinds of stories and when we look at what Jesus is saying for, um, for himself. So there are a couple of things that I, like based off of the, I think it was a lot of the wonderings that you had that I, I, I thought were worth exploring. For one, the journey from Jerusalem down to Jericho again is, is the direction for the priest and the Levite. Usually this would mean either they were going home from serving in the temple so they weren't on their way to some sort of religious observance. And the other side of that is they would either be going home to Jericho or they would be going down to the pathway that followed the Jordan River north to the Galilee region because you would take that road in order to avoid being unclean by having to stay in the home of a Samaritan on your way. So either these people are on a journey home or they're on a journey specifically to avoid Samaritans. And this is potentially everybody in the story with the exception of the Samaritan and the thieves. Where the person who was beat up was on their way down to Jericho. The, the two religious uh, gentlemen were on their way down to Jericho. The Samaritan's just on a journey. He's not trying to avoid himself. He's stuck being himself wherever he goes in this story. So I think that's interesting, is that this is taking place potentially in a, in a location where people are trying to avoid the one who shows mercy at all costs. Did someone just say love is a verb from the background? Yeah, the love is a choice. Jesus in his answer is, is saying like, to be a neighbor, to make, that, to make that a part of your identity, is I am your neighbor, even if you're someone who would be looking to avoid me in this context as well is a part of stepping into love, right? Is to love someone, you need to be next to them or you need to be close to them in some way. And in this case, it means for the, for the Samaritan, being willing to be close to someone who would almost rather die than be close to them and to show them love and compassion and mercy. Um, I, and I think the the being present and the closeness that's involved in choosing to be a neighbor so that you can love or as a part of loving is. So I think what I, on that topic, like with a few of the things that we've, we've discussed, especially with the answers that have been coming out of your group as well, you're looking at kind of the action versus the thought side of faith when it comes to um, the questions that the legal expert is asking and, and even your question as well about why is he kind of the villain? in the story, or he's, he's seen to be that way in a little bit. I, my interpretation of, of this legal expert and how he sets up 
um, Jesus' example of love in this is really interesting. The temptation that's involved in this with a question like, what must I do to gain eternal life? And as someone who's raised evangelical, if someone asked me that question, I'd be like, finally, I've been studying my whole life to try and give a really neat answer to this question. But what, what seems to be happening here is there's a lot of debate as to whether or not there's a resurrection of the dead at all at this point in time. There's, there are a few different religious sects, like the Pharisees and Sadducees, one that is trying to essentially, through faith, overthrow the Roman Empire or have the Roman Empire booted out by God through their re religious observance who believe in a resurrection of the dead and then the Sadducees who are more let's just sort of adapt a lot of their practices and make the best of what we can of the situation in the here and now who deny a resurrection of the dead and there are similar factions within the Samaritan faith as well um, so this question to me seems to be almost like the closest thing I can think of is like an internet troll who sort of just throws out one of those things that's like, let's see if this will like cause a stir over here and then sort of goes with it. That's where I see like the temptation is almost to get into an argument. And what Jesus does is exactly what you need to do to not get into an argument over these different like perspectives on faith within his contemporary context. He just turns the question around. Well, how do you interpret it? Um, and so he gives this answer, which Jesus says, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. He's, there's no debate in here. Jesus is not trying to get into an argument. He's not trying to create space for this guy to actually make his point and push his agenda, if there is one. He just says, if that's, if that's the way you interpret the law and you take action on this, good things will happen if you're loving God with all of your being and you're loving your neighbor. I don't need to add anything to that. So no argument gets to happen. No debate, no chance to show how right somebody is, no chance to like pull Jesus onto their political or their social or religious side. None of that is possible because of the way that Jesus answers this question, I'd say like masterfully. And so to try, in this case, like to further the temptation and to try and like, I'm gonna get something out of this, who's my neighbor? When I read it, like after a lot of times, that's sort of the, the feeling I got from it is this person who's trying to make himself look intelligent or to make himself look upright and is either looking to establish his uprightness with the contrast of Jesus who is obviously heretical to my point or my perspective or now this revolutionary teacher is on my side. And either way, kind of, I win is the way that I see this conversation going because of that temptation verb. I think that changes things a bit. So I think his, his response is interesting that, that after he, like the, the legal expert pushes to find out who is his neighbor, is that there's this story. And there's a story that for the first part of it actually seems to line up with exactly what the legal expert would be qualified to make a judgment on. You have someone who's nearly dead lying on the side of the road and okay, the priest walks past him. He goes to the other side of the road to make sure that he is ceremonially clean for whatever he might have to do at home. He's not allowed to touch corpses except in a very specific circumstance. Next guy, Levite, likewise, has some limitations on what he can do to touch a corpse. So he moves to the other side of the road and moves forward. Maybe they were going to tell somebody to get help. 
Who knows what they were actually going to do in the end? But in that moment, you could ask a, an expert in the law whose job is essentially to adjudicate what is the right way to follow the law of Moses in this. And you could say, well, that probably technically is the right thing to do for them because if the person died on the way to this thing, then they're touching a corpse. Now we're in all kinds of problems. Probably, that's probably the right thing to do by law. And the next person's like, well, they have a similar set of obligations. Okay, this makes sense. This sounds like a, like a thought experiment that a lawyer would go through as a part of their training until you get to this stranger who's not supposed to be here shows up and shows love to the person and shows compassion and cares for their physical needs. Um, and it's a person who, from the Jewish perspective, is a heretic because they say that the, the temple is illegitimate and they, they claim that their own mountain in their own territory is where God should be worshipped and no other place. And also, these people were on, the Samaritans were on the winning side of an armed conflict uh, with the Jews of a couple centuries earlier. So there's also, there's not just religious animosity, but there's like political and violent animosity that is part of the history between these two people. So this guy shouldn't be on this road. He has a history and is on the, the winning side of an armed conflict against the Jews and, and has the wrong religious beliefs. Um, and yet, this is the person who fulfills the greatest command of loving your neighbor. And this is where I think the real, like, the real twist or the real trick that Jesus pulls comes in is this looks like a legal thought experiment. And then there's this wild card that shows up. The, the, there's so many things about this that are interesting. Whenever Jesus talks, it's just like there are so many things that, like, that weave out of it. And you've all done a great job of articulating that as well. But... For, for the legal expert and anybody who's listening to be in a position where it's, it's not the, pre, the people who are in our camp who are doing the right thing or who are fulfilling the ultimate part of the law is meant to be challenging in more than just like, you know what sucks? Organized religion, the Jesus. You know, like that's, that's not the point that he's trying to make, but... What, what does come of this is the question of like, do we have it in our minds that because someone is in our camp politically, socially, from a faith perspective, that they are more inclined to do the right thing and to demonstrate the love of God because they agree with us? Is that the perspective we have on these people? And generally, that seems to be the vibe of the story, or at least the situation surrounding the story. And I think that's like, that part of the challenge is the thing that in our contemporary context, I think hit me the hardest as I was journeying with this story over the summer. Because I'm someone who, at this point in time, two years ago, I am deep in the online frustration communities about all kinds of things. And I've come to, I had come to a lot of perspectives that really did have no issue with undermining, undermining the image-bearing nature of the other humans I encountered, whether it's in an online or an in-person context. And it, it kind of took being stuck with this story for a long time to realize how much that perspective 
does not equip me to love my neighbor. It allows me to create barriers to who I'm willing to consider my neighbor, probably just like the, the legal expert in the story and, and these other people who think like, there's a legitimate reason why I'm not talking to these people. They are not compassionate. They are against the people who I love in this way. Therefore, I'm gonna put up these boundaries and I'm going to think of myself as a holy and just person for doing so. But what Jesus does with the story is he, he essentially takes the jerk and says, here they are living out the ultimate command of all the law and the prophets out of nowhere in the place where they shouldn't be. And I, I, I found myself wondering, like, if someone with a certain bumper sticker showed up to help me out with a flat tire, like, would I be willing to accept their help? Would I be willing to let the image-bearing side of the other person in my mind have a chance to express itself? Or am I so set in them being just the broken sinner because they're in the other camp that I don't want them to have a chance to be kind or good in any way? Because then it forces me to think in a nuanced way about my neighbor. Am I willing to be neighbored by someone I don't like who's in some way motivated to try and live out the image of God that's in them, whether they know that's what they're doing or not. And so there's like, this story has started to push me to, to be a lot more slow to judge because I can't be a neighbor to someone that I've put a wall up against. I can't give grace to someone that I would refuse to receive grace from, is what I've found. And I think that's something that the story that Jesus really accomplishes is he's telling people to go and act like the people they, they hate because in the end, what that does is it leads you to be the best or the closest proximity to the law-abiding Jews that they're trying to be. So I think for us right now, the, the question is like, maybe what are the pretensions that we have, whether as religious people, as people who belong to a specific political community or generation or any of these things that we think, where we kind of like equip ourselves to think less of another person so that we can feel right about ourselves. And how do we allow the story that Jesus tells and the, the, and the life that Jesus lives to help us find room for more nuance, to leave room for us to be acceptors of grace and givers of grace in places where either we are unwanted or the other side is unwanted. How does Jesus allow us to essentially love our enemies and challenge us to love our enemies and in so doing to follow the highest law of God? I think that's a fair place for us to close for today. But I appreciate your willingness to contribute and to, to share your perspectives. I, I loved hearing that. And <laughs> I neglected to get anybody's names when you were talking, and I feel silly for that. But I'd love to, to connect with you afterwards and, and get to know you better. Um, and I appreciate the time that you took um, both to hear from me and to hear from each other on this subject. I would also say it was fascinating to look up Samaritans and Samaria, um, and yeah, and also a thank you to everybody else who's spoken during this this series. I've I've really benefited from hearing all the different voices and perspectives of the community as we've journeyed through the surprising stories of Jesus, and that's good for my soul as well. So, thank you, and and may we be challenged 
by the example and the words of Christ to be those who love our neighbors and who are willing to be neighbors um, to those who don't even want us around sometimes as we journey forward um, by the Spirit. Thank you.